0: Josh to read Psalm 95 because our passage this morning in Hebrews directly quotes the end of that psalm. That psalm sounds so wonderful when we begin, you know, verse 1, come let us sing with joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud for the, to the rock of our salvation. It's, it, it's a high point of worship. But those last few verses, especially the last one. So then I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest." That, my friends, is a low point. (laughs) So there's a high point and a low point. And as we look at the passage this morning, I want to just remember a little bit last week. Why don't you turn to Hebrews 4? That's where we'll be uh, studying this morning as we work our way through this amazing book of Hebrews. This morning's uh, message, I entitled it God's Resting Plan. God's Resting Plan. We like the word rest, right? Because we're usually tired, especially the older we get, the more tired we get. We like naps, and we like hammocks, and we like to take a rest uh, when we get tired and weary. But it's not that kind of rest. It's not about physical only. Uh, it's it's about our soul. As, as Mike said, uh, as he's quoting Jesus, um, come to me. I will give you rest. He says, I'll give you rest for your soul. Uh, we're going to talk about that because um, it's not just physical tiredness, not just emotional or, or, or mental, uh, you know, tiredness, you know, tired of thinking or tired of feeling. Uh, this, is, this is a different kind of tiredness that we have, and uh, we need to understand it deeply so that we can receive it. It is a gift, As you remember, last week's sermon, Pastor Mike showed us how the preacher of Hebrews, this Hebrew sermon that we're reading, how he reminded his people of two times in the past in which God's people had faded from their faith. It's not the only two times, but it's two major times that are brought up for us here in in Hebrews chapter 3. We're still kind of talking about that as we work our way through chapter 4. We were encouraged last week to by the scripture to make sure that we would um, pay attention to the unbelief in our lives. That was in uh, chapter three, verse twelve. To notice it, to not to not let it just uh, be there, but to but to pay attention to it, to 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 manage it. Um, we want to we want to make sure that as we take care of it. Um, We understand where it comes from. Where does our, where does our unbelief come from? And how does God's word remedy it? How does faith in what Jesus has said or what God has done remedy that? Because if we're not careful, our faith will fade like the, the people in the Old Testament that we read about. The other thing that uh, Pastor Mike pointed out to us is that in order for it not to fade, in order for us to, to be you know, growing in our faith, we need to encourage one another daily, every day, not just on Sundays, but every day. That was from verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. We need to preach the truth to each other. We need to keep reminding each other that even in the midst of our struggles, Even in the midst of the difficulties, hope is not lost. Hope has a name, right? And his name is Jesus. You know, Jesus has brought us hope even in our trouble, even in our difficulties, even in times of persecution. So as as Bible-believing, biblically sound believers in Christ, we know that learning from the Old Testament, learning from the past will help us to thrive as believers in our present life and in the future. The preacher of Hebrews also knows this and is actually continuing in this practice, which Jesus began. If you remember, Jesus' ministry here on earth, after his resurrection, he walked with his disciples on the Emmaus Road, and those were some sad and, and, and discouraged disciples on that road. And he walked with them, and he began to unfold for them or to teach them how to read the law, how to read the Old Testament prophets in light of Christ, in light of salvation and the cross. Learning to see Christ there in the Old Testament and then understanding the redemptive history of the whole world and of God's people. It's all tied together. It's one story. It's not two different stories. It's got many different authors, but the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author who's written this word for us. We see the Apostle Paul does this as well. In fact, after quoting Jesus, who was quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, Paul lays down an important truth for us. And we need to hold on to this because Hebrews is a unique book. There's a lot of references to the Old Testament in Hebrews. Sometimes that's why we're intimidated by this book. We think, oh, I don't know enough about you know, the high priesthood or sacrifices and things from the Old Testament, so I'll stick with you know, easy stuff like the Gospel of Mark. You know, I'll stick over there because this gets complicated, this deep theology, this doctrine about Christ. It's important for us. And so in Romans 15, 4, Paul says, such things are written in the scripture long ago to teach us. They're not just written to bore us or to make us confused or to make us overwhelmed. They're they're written to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Do you know that, people? This whole book, the whole Bible from beginning to end, is written to teach us And to help us to persevere, to continue to have hope and encouragement no matter what our circumstances. So whatever your circumstances today, the thing that's troubling you, the thing that's troubling your family, the thing that's troubling our our world, those things, in light of God's revelation and his entire scripture, in the midst of those things, we can still have hope. Because hope has a name. And his name is Jesus, right? Right? We know that in Christ, all of these things are working their way out to bring about God's perfect will. So let's look at our passage today. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. As I read it, I want you to notice some important things with me, all right? We're just going to look at this passage together. I want you to see something. In fact, kids, I want you to, I want you to get your fingers out, you know, so that you can count on your, on your fingers. Adults, you can do this too. But this is a fascinating 11 verses, because in these 11 verses, the word rest is listed 11 times. I think God's trying to get a point across to us. I think he wants to talk about rest with us. Now, like I said, it's not necessarily rest like nap time, or rest like a vacation, or rest like retirement. This is a rest, a deep rest for our soul our soul which was created by God to live with God in a place of rest. So, I want you to count the times. As I read the scripture to you, these 11 verses, when you hear the word, word rest, put up a finger, you know, or count on your fingers, all right? So, here we go. Let's see if you can see all, hear all 11 of them. You can look as well in your scriptures. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message that they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said so I declared an oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest remember Psalm 95 the last verse they shall never enter my rest and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Where did he speak of that? Does anyone know what that refers to? It says somewhere. Does anyone know where in the Bible that phrase right there? On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Anybody? Yeah, Genesis 2-2. Very good. All right. So he's, he's, he's all over the place. He's in the Psalms. He's back in Genesis. He's showing us the totality, the wholeness of God's word. So let me continue. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, now where did we hear from Joshua last week? The book of Numbers, we, heard, we talked about in Exodus, You know when they were getting ready to enter, enter the promised land. So if Joshua had given them rest, when they finally entered, because Joshua and Caleb were able to bring the nation in across the river and into Canaan, into the promised land, if, God had given them, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. There's a lot in these verses, but the whole theme is about rest and entering rest, the type of rest that God has prepared for his people. So this rest conversation we can see from this passage has been going on for all of biblical history for 6,000 years. This passage mentions rest all the way back at the creation in in Genesis 2-2 when God rested. And to the next passage where we talked about last week, Joshua, which was about 1400 BC when he led them into the promised land, that's mentioned here too. But also King David from Psalm 95, which was written about 1000 BC. That's mentioned. All the way to the writing of Hebrews, which was written before 70 AD. All the way to February 21st, 2021, which is today. And the Sabbath rest, which is theologians say refers to actually after the second coming of Christ, when God sets up his kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth, the entire history of our Bible, of our belief in God, of the revelation that God has given us, talks about rest from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus himself talks about rest. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's not selling it. He will give it to you. It's a gift. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for your souls. He continues, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's one of the most familiar passages Of Jesus. It's such a a beautiful invitation to relationship with Him. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. We will find rest for our souls when we respond to Jesus. See, Jesus is the center of this, He is the, the, the one who makes it all make sense. He is our Savior, He's our Lord, He's our Redeemer. He's the one that's brought us into relationship with God where we can finally find rest for our souls. But this isn't just any kind of rest, as I've already mentioned. Let's, let's see what kind of rest is being talked about here. Now look back in the passage. I want you to see that in verse 1, it's called his rest. So therefore, it says, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. Who's, who's him? Who are we talking about? God, so it's God's rest. So this isn't like Tom's rest or Laura's rest or Heather's rest, it's it's God's rest. It's a whole different kind of rest, right? God himself created it and God is the one who who maintains it. So verse one talks about it being his rest. Then we see in verses three and six and 11 that it's then referred to as that rest. So he's, he's going back to it and saying God's rest that I mentioned here. And then when he goes on, he says, Yep, we're talking about that rest, God's rest, God's rest, that rest, not another kind of rest, God's rest. And then when he's quoting God speaking through the prophet in verse 3 and verse 5, God calls it my rest. My being God, his rest. Verse 4 and 9, again, when rest is mentioned, it's called God's rest. And then in verse 9, we have that interesting little piece called the Sabbath rest. Now, we're familiar with Sabbath because it's part of the Old Testament law. It's part of the Ten Commandments that you would keep the Sabbath holy. And Sabbath was a day of rest. It was a time when they were to stop all their labor and remember who really provides for them. Because, you see, our work is what we think we deserve to be, to be paid for, right? You know, you don't work for free. You get paid a salary or you get paid a wage or you get paid something for what you do. This Sabbath rest is not something you earned. It's a gift from Jesus. It's a gift that he gives you. So Sabbath is, is, is that idea. Now we're not Old Testament believers. We're not bound by the law, but it's still a good practice for us because it helps us to think about a couple of things. Number one, who's in charge? It's not you. So if you're a boss at your work, if you're a foreman at your work, if you're, you're the one who runs your company or whatever, you're not the boss. God's over you, right? It, it gets our authority structure straightened out when we stop and we stop working. And we sit for a minute, and we get still before God, and we connect our whole self with him through prayer or through the word, and we begin to understand, oh yeah, I'm not just a mailman, I'm not just a nurse. You know, we're funny people, because when we introduce ourselves, we're like, hi, my name's Tom, and I'm a pastor. Hi, my name's Bill, and I'm a, I'm a builder, you know? You know, we, we, we like to identify ourselves with our work. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to identify ourselves with him. We are his children. He provides for us. He gives us the strength to use our bodies to work or to use our minds to work. He's the one who provides life to us. He's given us life through Christ and forgiveness through Christ so that we can live a life of abundance and work. It is part of how he designed us. Even Adam, when he was put into the garden, he was given responsibilities there were things for Adam to do. He named the animals. He was so somehow in charge of all of that. Right? When men and women fell, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden when they sinned against God's instructions, their work became hard. Part of the curse that comes with sin is that we kind of have to take on some things that we weren't designed to take on. And God said to them, "You will work by the sweat of your brow." It's not going to be easy anymore. The garden was a beautiful place. We all dream of like, wow, if we could only find the Garden of Eden, if we could live in a place like the Garden of Eden. Well, God's got a better plan. If you read all the way through the end of the Bible, he's creating a place that there is no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more disease, no more sin. He's creating another place. It's called the city of God or the kingdom of God. And there's gardens within it. There's trees within it. But, but... We are headed there and that is the Sabbath rest, the final resting place for God's people. We're not gonna be dead there, we're gonna be alive more than we've ever been alive when we're in his presence and we are free from these shells, these these bodies that he's given us that have had to live and and work and, and tire ourselves out in the struggle that we have here on earth. You see, rest in the Bible means a great deal more than taking a nap or going on a vacation. you got to get this straight in order to understand God's word and understand God's plan, which is revealed to us in his word. We all know what it means to rest our bodies or to rest our minds. In fact, for several hours every day, you sleep. Hopefully, if you don't have insomnia, but you sleep. When you sleep... Who's in charge? Not you, because you're sleeping. God's in charge. He's keeping your heart beating and your lungs breathing, your circulation going. So every day you rest and God's in control. Now, some of you don't sleep too much because you're trying to be in control too much during the day and you need to let that go. You need to say, God's in control. I can rest peacefully in him. You know, Jesus is thinking about what we really need when he says, I will give rest for your souls. I will give rest for your souls. That's what we really need. Because entering into rest means enjoying and entering into God's full plan of salvation. God's plan of rest and restoration. He will restore creation after the fall and sin has corrupted it and corrupted us. Jesus has come to restore it. If you think about the word rest and the word restored, the word rest is at the very front of the, that word, right? rest restored, restored, right? This is, this is a connection with how God is working in us. Rest is part of his plan to restore us to himself. Rest represents a restored relationship between you and God, between God and mankind. Now there's rest. We're not at war with God anymore. Once we were his enemies, but because of Christ, we now have peace. Peace is another one of those words that we're looking for. Peace is one of those beautiful words like rest. You see, Jesus has done the work for us so that we may rest in him in God, in the biblical sense. You see, sin has separated us from God, but Jesus then took away our sin through the cross and restored for us a relationship with our heavenly father where our identity now lies. Your identity is not in your job. It's not in the house you live in or the car you drive. Your identity as a child of God is in Christ in God. Your that's who you are that's what your soul is longing for so when you try to fit something else in there instead of God you try to fit money in there you try to fit vacations in there you try to fit a a sports car in there you try to fit you know a trophy wife in there it's not made for that your soul is made for God and it will only rest in God through Christ and through the forgiveness of sins that Christ has come to give us See, Genesis and Revelation and the whole book, the Bible, reveal that rest was meant to be a living relationship in God's presence, in God's dwelling. If you remember when we studied the Old Testament, we talked about the tabernacle as well as the temple, that there were these places where where God wanted to, to, to meet with us, with Moses, with the high priest, with his people. And so this is all built into the structure of how God has built rest into his plan. First in Eden, and finally in that new kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. And the preacher of Hebrews desperately wants his people to make it through their hard times to that true place of rest with God. They're going through a hard time. You're going through a hard time. We're all going through a hard time. But we are to persevere because we know that God has a plan. And we won't always be in a hard time. It won't always be like this. You won't always feel like this. You won't always have these thoughts bombarding you. There will be a place of peace and rest with God in the fullness of God like you've never experienced that God has promised you in Christ. And if you hold on to that hope... You will get there. Do not abandon that hope. That's also part of this passage here. This metaphor of rest is referring to God's absolute blessing on you. The blessing of safety. The blessing of security. The blessing of salvation in Christ. Hebrews 4 brings Christ right into the center of this biblical teaching of rest. It's not a rest from all the trials and tribulations and troubles in this life. In fact, Jesus himself told us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome. I have overcome this world of trouble, right? That place of overcoming is a place of rest in Christ. We, we have some troubles and tribulations here and those things are working in us to sanctify us, to make us mature, to help us to understand who we are in Christ and live that out. But we won't always be here in this place. One day we'll be walking those streets of gold in God's heavenly kingdom. See, God's people are made for that eternal state. That's why this world doesn't feel right to us in Christ. It doesn't seem right. It's all broken in so many ways, and, and we're, we, we struggle with that. Some of us, we get overwhelmed with that because we're like, this doesn't seem right. Well, it isn't right, and it will only be made right when Christ comes and makes it right, right? In the meantime, we live in relationship with him and as people of just and, justice and a people of love and a people of forgiveness in a world that is broken and needs justice and needs forgiveness, we're little lights. We're little agents for God. But one day he will come when that trumpet sounds. And this forward-looking call to God's rest is found right here in this book. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says that the patriarchs, so for them, the patriarchs are like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, and all of the people of God who came before desired a better country, it says, in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, a better country, better than the promised land. It says, that country is the heavenly one. Do you desire a heavenly country, a heavenly place to live? I hope you do. Your soul longs for it. So let's go on here with this passage. How do we earn that kind of rest? Well, you don't earn it. You don't earn it at all, right? It is by the grace of God. Jesus earned it for you. And we receive it or we enter into it by faith, by belief. Faith is mentioned in this passage because it says that those people who came before, even though the gospel was preached to them, this relationship with God being restored to them, they heard it, but it was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. They didn't believe it. They didn't trust it. Think about it, you know, the the promised land scenario that that Mike preached on last week. When they came to that that river and they crossed over, those spies went over and they looked around and it was a beautiful land. It was flowing with milk and honey. The grapes were gigantic, you know, it was a very, very fruitful place. But also, there were some people residing there who looked big, who were big, bigger than the Israelites. And so they became fearful. And they did not believe that God would give them the victory. Fear is our enemy in this fight for rest. When fear gets in or doubt or unbelief, we begin to shrink back. We're no longer bold and and, and confident in God. We become, they they said in that passage, uh, that, that they looked at themselves and they said, we are like grasshoppers compared to them. So it's like these little tiny insects that can get squashed, you right? So they, they didn't look to God. They looked at themselves and they said, we can't do this. Do you know how many times a week I, I go through that? I say to myself, I can't do this. And God says, that's okay. I'll do it. We'll do it together. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the help. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll give you the compassion that you need. You can do this with me, but you're right. You can't do this without me. And so that's what happened there. They, you know, they were like, oh, we can't do this because they forgot who was with them. People, do not forget that God is with you. He never leaves you. He is on your side. He has favor on you because of what Christ has done for you and for me. We find rest in God. So we don't earn it. Jesus has earned it for us and that has been God's plan all along. He is the rescuer. And true Christian living is characterized by an ongoing, living, growing, tested and tried faith in Christ alone. Not in yourself, not in your own works, not in what you can accomplish, but in what Christ has accomplished and has promised you in Christ. It is by faith in Christ that we enter into rest now And we will enter into that final Sabbath rest then. We're in the already but not yet part of life, right? Already we have received salvation, but we have not yet seen the fullness of it that we have been promised in God's word. You understand that, right? We've talked about that many times here in our our sermons. So I need you to notice the connection here between hearing the good news and faith or belief or trust. You can use any of those words. You know, they're sort of interchangeable, right? Trusting God, believing his word, having faith, even when you can't see it to know that it's true. When these are combined, you enter into rest, even today. When you take God for his word, regardless of what the situation looks like, you rest, you trust. You say, God can do it. Look what he's already done. And look what he's promised us to do. You can rest in that. Even today. Is that the full Sabbath rest, the promised rest that's out ahead of us? Not yet. We're not there yet, but you can even rest today. Verse three is is very interesting, the way that it's written. Now we who have believed enter that God's enter God's rest we who have believed enter that rest So we're, we're already entering it notice that Now how did those people miss this rest well, we have to watch out for a few things. They did not value the gospel. When it was spoken to them, they, they devalued it. They thought, well, this can't be it. There must be something else. This seems too simple. I have to receive this gift from God through Jesus? Yes, you do. But then what? That's it. Then you believe. Then you walk in that belief. You trust in God to fulfill that belief. That's what It means to value the gospel. It is the most important message you need to hear. And when you've heard it, continue to value it. Never devalue the gospel. If someone comes with another message, scripture tells us, don't listen. There's just one gospel through Jesus Christ. They did not have the faith or the trust in God to believe that that was the way to heaven. That was the way to rest. And that led them to disobedience because Unbelief. When God promises you something, and you don't believe Him on it, that is disobedience. We can call it unbelief, but it's also disobedience. God's saying, "Trust me, Gary. Trust me." And you're saying, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, 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 no." Well, so when you do that, no, 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 I don't trust you. You're you're in disobedience to God because He's saying, "John, come here. Trust me." And you're like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, nope, nope. I don't trust nobody." You know, you get, you see that. So, so, unbelief and disobedience are like you know twin sisters right they 're the same, you know, and so we have to watch that in our lives We have to make sure that that doesn 't show up because that kind of distrust of God and of god 's word makes us miss our rest today and maybe in the future, right God goes again and again and again back to these verses. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. They hardened their hearts, and so they missed it. They missed the offer of rest and restoration to God that was offered to them. So, now, notice notice this. Um, the next thing is that there's good news, right? There's good news because the promise of entering rest... Is It still stands. It said that right away in verse 1. It gives us hope right away. It doesn't make us go through the, the drudgery of it all. It says, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, hallelujah, if you haven't entered his rest, do it today. He uses the word today later on in this passage. Don't wait. It still stands. There will be a day, they call it judgment day, when... The clock runs out with God. He says, okay, we're going we're gonna to be done with this world and this system and all that's been going on here, and we're going to come before him and stand. And if you stand in Christ, the promises of Christ, the blessings of Christ, the salvation, the eternal life through Christ is yours because you trusted in Christ. But if you stand in anyone or anything else, or in yourself, you won't stand. You won't stand. You'll miss it. So the good news is that today, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Today, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short, it says. Now today, we who have believed can enter that rest. So let us make every effort to enter that rest today. Just as David urged his people, King David, in the Old Testament, in the Psalm 95 that was read to us, he urged his people to respond to God in faithfulness in his today. In Hebrews, we hear the preacher saying, today. And I want you to hear me this morning saying, today. It's today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can enter into rest with God. You can be restored to your creator. You can become the child of God who has this great heavenly father who watches over and cares for and protects and provides for. Not just now, but for an entire eternity, which is forever and ever and ever and ever. You can have that today by putting your faith in Christ. Today, not tomorrow. A lot of people like to put it off. Especially young people. Listen to me. A lot of you say, when I'm older like my parents or grandparents, then I'll get right with Christ. Then I'll like walk with Jesus. But now I want to have some fun. And you get into all that rebellion and craziness and wild lifestyle, and pretty soon it captures you and you can't get out. Today is the day of salvation. Whether you're old or young, today. When you walk into that relationship with Christ and your soul begins to receive the rest that it was created for, you'll know that you made the right choice. You'll be free from guilt. You'll be free from shame. You'll be free from bondage. You'll be free from the the images that are in your mind, the things that have been put on you, the things that have been said about you that were not true. You'll be free from lies. You'll be free from addictions. When you walk into rest, you begin a process of being fully restored to be who God created you to be. Not to be who your parents created you to be. Not to be who your school created you to be or the culture created you to be. To be who you're supposed to be in Christ. And that is the best you that you could ever be. So as we look at this offer today, let us not harden our hearts. Respond to God in faith today. How do we enter in? Well, we'll end with this slide. Be careful. That's what verse 1 says to us. Since this promise still stands today for you, be careful. What that means is get it. Grab it. Don't miss it. You ever ride on a merry-go-round, any of you? Those old-fashioned carousels, right? They had this thing on the side it had little rings and if you reached from your horse you held on to the and you re- you could grab that ring right but you had to be careful to grab it because it was like just coming out on this little arm I know I'm I'm really aging myself here but this is a real thing look it up um, they they ha- you're going around fast on the carousel and you reach out and you grab a ring and then you try to get another ring and it was like a little contest while you're riding the carousel it was really fun but you had to be careful to get it. In other words, you had to keep your eye on it, and as you came around the corner, you had to like, reach, and you had to reach not too far and not too short. You had to reach just right. You had to be careful to get the ring. Well, we have to be careful to trust in God to make sure that unbelief does not, does not get going in our life and growing in our life, but that faith continues to grow. We have to con- combine our faith to the gospel, to the good news, Listen, there is no better news. Don't wait for something else. This is it. God has sent his son. He loved you so much. He sent his son to bring you eternal life, to die in your place, to rescue you from sin and from destruction. There is no better news than that. Combine your faith to that message of Jesus making you into a whole new creation and you will grow and you will prosper in Christ. The other thing that is a warning in this passage is make sure your heart is soft. In other words, open towards God. Don't get so distracted by the world or distracted by your troubles that your heart gets gets angry too much. It gets it holds grudges. It becomes just muddied up with the world and all the politics and all the garbage that's going on. And pretty soon you're just negative and, and hard, just like the world. God wants us to be soft. And it's not easy to be soft because it hurts to be soft. You're vulnerable when you have an open heart. This world is painful. People go through difficult times. We go through difficult times even personally. Don't harden your heart towards the voice of God. He has something to say to you even in the midst of your trouble. Something that will give you hope. Something that will help you to persevere. Something that will keep you going when you don't feel like going anymore. So, number four, make every effort to enter into that rest. Now, I want to I, I just say put up this last slide. Our rest is not dependent on our surroundings. Like me, many of you have gone away to a resort, to an island, on a cruise, in the woods, on the mountains, near the ocean, right? And when we get there, we're like, ah, now I can rest, you know, and put our feet up in the hammock, and we... we, we we let our surroundings... I don't have to think about work. I left my kids at home with a babysitter. This is awesome. Now I can finally be me. That's some kind of American commercial kind of like, you know... It's, that's not from the Bible. I just want you to know. That's not the kind of rest that God offers us. Our surroundings, regardless of where we are they do not determine our rest. It is our faith in the one who gives us rest as a gift that gives us rest. The rest that we really need, the rest for our soul. I want you to look at this passage again and look at it and look at it and look at it this week because in it is a, is a secret, is, is, is like a spiritual secret. I can't quite figure it out. It's a little bit like a Rubik's Cube for me. I think I got it straight, and then I, then I say, well, wait, what about this, and what about that? There's, there's so much good in it that I want you to chew on it a little more. I want you to have rest for your soul. I want rest for my soul. God is offering it to us through Christ. Let's not miss it. Let's be careful to find it and to hold it, and to value it, and to treasure it, because Christ is our treasure. He is he's the, the pearl of great price. He's the thing that we should give up everything else to have. So Father God, I just pray that you would continue by your spirit to teach us about your plan for rest that started from the very beginning of creation and will continue into eternity. But Lord, according to this word, some people will miss it. Lord, don't let it be me. Don't let it be us here. Help us not to miss it. Show us and give us this rest. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.